I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there or meet them at a trade show or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them now at 514-488-3618 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. And today, Brandon Nettles is with us. He's the vice president of Next Move Group. And since he joined us, we have grown by more than 100%. So he obviously has to be some of the key to that, if not the key to it. So I'm glad to have him with us today. He graduated from Southern Miss with a 4.0 in economics and an economic development. I think we can all get a 4.0 in economic development, but it's hard to get one in economics. So, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be on. After two years with the company, I finally get to be on the podcast show. Yeah, he was there when we were testing this idea. You were the first one. We just didn't play it. I don't know if you remember. Remember <laughs> being behind that microphone, you had to say something just to see if we could hear. Right. Yeah, I was the test subject. <laughs> All right. Well, you're on the real show today, so get your answers right. Make sure you don't mess up. So uh, <laughs> why don't you start out with telling us what really got you interested in economic development? In college, I studied economics, and I was kind of always interested in how communities were doing well, which ones weren't and why and that kind of thing. But anybody who's ever taken a macro or a micro economics class knows that economics is pretty theoretical. And I wanted something a little more practical and something I could put into use. So after I graduated from Southern Miss, I started looking into Southern Miss Masters of Economic Development program. And so that's kind of how I got keyed into economic development. So what was harder, the 4.0 in economics or the 4.0 in a master's in economic development? Um, they were both hard in different ways. The master's is a lot more research and that kind of thing, but economics probably edged it out a little bit. <laughs> Tell us what you learned in the master's of economic development program at Southern Miss. Well, it's a one to two year program, depending on if you're a graduate age or if you're already a professional, but it's just kind of an overview of economic development terms. So it's good if you just need to kind of expand what you already know, or if you don't know anything, it's kind of like how to retain and expand businesses, market a community conduct a strategic plan, manage small business programs, like that kind of thing. But some of the connections I made while I was in the program were really one of the best assets, I would say, because I was a grad assistant while I was there. And I still talk with the grad assistants that I was formerly with and still keep in touch and probably text them weekly. 
Well, considering the last few weeks we've had real legends in economic development on our show, and hardly anybody goes to school to be an economic developer. So you actually right. did. So when you entered the course, not by the end, but when you first started, what did you want to do? Where did you really think it would take you? I really wasn't sure. When I first joined, I didn't know a whole lot about economic development. I knew that it was the process of the increasing the development in your community. But beyond that, I didn't know too much about it. So when I first started, it was kind of a blank slate for me. I wasn't sure where I was going, but it was an interesting subject, and I'm glad where it's taken me. Well, what really got you interested in working with Next Move Group? So you actually spoke at our class. That was kind of the initial point where I heard you speak. But I like the variety of Next Move Group in that you help both economic development and site selection, kind of both sides. I also love New Orleans. Uh, what about the speech did you like? You can't leave our folks hanging like that. Tell them I gave a good talk, but now you can't remember what I said? I can't remember it exactly, actually, but <laughs> you were mostly talking about just different aspects of economic development and how you can capture different industries looking at your website. I remember that specifically. Well, you've been in the trenches with us. Why do you think we have grown 100% since you came on board? What do you think your presence with our company has done to allow us to have that growth? Probably just having another person helping up. I think you're already on the cusp of momentum. I just joined in at the right time. When I joined, it allowed other areas of the business to focus on growth rather than some of the actual client work and things like that. Well, that has a lot to do with it. So when Brandon joined our team, we did a Goldman Sachs Entrepreneurial Accelerator Program, and they taught us you got to have three different levels of thinking in your business to grow. You got to have an entrepreneurial thinker, you got to have somebody to manage everything and you got to have technical people. That's whether you're a one person shop, you got to do all three or whether you're Walmart, you got thousands of employees. And so I used to get stuck not only making the sale, but doing all the work. And uh, luckily when Brandon bebopped along, he can do the work. And so that's just freed us up to make more sales. And he's done a great job with that. And we have grown a hundred percent since then. We absolutely would have done it without him. Take us back to growing up. I know your dad is a community college president. I believe he's retired. He was a community college mm -hmm. president. So take us back to growing up in that environment and if that tied you into economic development at all. My family's always been involved in education. My mom worked in education for years. My wife and my sister are both getting their master's. And uh, yeah, my dad is a retired community college president. Ten years he was president at uh, Pyle Lincoln Community College. And growing up on campus, it was great and getting to go to events and different college sports and just getting to see all that. So it was just a good experience all around. Was it kind of like being the preacher's kid because you were the president's kid? Could you not be seen at, you know, the wrong party and all this kind of stuff on Friday night? <laughs> I don't know about that, but I actually went to Colin myself. So in that case, yes, it was being like the preacher's kid and that my dad was the president of the college I was attending. So did he ever talk about workforce development or did you have any concept of it from the community college standpoint before you went to Southern Miss? He would talk about it some and that's kind of where I got the understanding of workforce development and what it was and how industries needed the help of kind of the education assets in a community. All right. Well, I know you're a newlywed. You just bought a big house in New Orleans. So you're our only homeowner. The rest of our staff all leases our houses. <laughs> John just moved into a new one, but you're our only homeowner. So uh, how's that feel of this whole bunch? You're the youngest one and you're the homeowner in New Orleans. Bailey and I love New Orleans. It was on our places of lists that we both wanted to live in. Before we moved anywhere, we kind of got out a map and decided where do we want to be? Where do we not want to be? And New Orleans was on both of our lists. So we were just kind of lucky in that way that I got a job here. Moving into our new home, we were glad to have our roots planted, but it kind of stops feeling like a new home after all your Flutter is brought over. And 
And tell these folks what your wife does. She's a nurse, Osh nurse. When did, uh, let's see, y'all got married in, was it January? And then the coronavirus hit. So right, I assume yeah. she's been spending a whole lot of time at the hospital. She's in the ER. She's a float nurse. So she just kind of bounces between the different areas. So yeah, she's seen a lot of COVID patients and all that. So what else was on your list? You said New Orleans. Where else did y'all have that you would have moved to? Oh, I have to think back. Uh, we had places like Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina. We wanted to stay reasonably close. We're both from Mississippi, but that's kind of the area we were looking at. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners and be right back with a lot more with Brandon Nettles right after this. I want to thank Location One. Some folks know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. Location One has, in my opinion, the best building and sites database in the economic development industry. I am often asked by economic developers, Chad, if you were an economic developer again, what would be the first thing you'd do? And it is without question, without question, first thing I'd do would be put my builders and sites on Lois. And let me tell you why that would be. Number one, I always did economic development in small to mid-sized towns, and one of our struggles was just getting eyeballs on our properties. That was our struggle. Lois overcomes that struggle for you. So the mistake I used to make is I would just put my buildings and sites on the state economic development database. Well, every time I did economic development, I was close to a border. So I was basically bordered another state. And anybody looking for buildings just across the way in the other state wouldn't find my buildings because I only had it on my state economic development website. I couldn't have made a dumber move looking back, but hey, it's what I did. When you advertise your buildings and sites on Lois, it goes to a nationwide database. So prospects looking for a certain site or certain building in the whole country can find you based on the parameters they put in. If they're looking at a radius, they're probably going to find you if they're looking in the state next door if your building or site is on Lois. It's also the most responsive friendly I have seen. So I love looking at buildings and sites on my iPad. I much rather look on my iPad when we're doing site selection work in the field than on my computer. Computer. And I have found Lois is basically the only big buildings and sites database I've found that works well on my iPad. A lot of the other ones, they just don't work as well. They tear the thing down. They don't remember your, your search query. If you put in 50,000 feet and you back it out, it forgets it. They're just hard to deal with. Lois is not. It's easy to use. It's just as easy for economic developers as it is site selectors. It walks you through inserting your information. So it tells you, place your gas line information here. Place your water line information here so you don't have to guess. You don't have to know code to make this thing work. But most importantly, once you push save, once you enter your information, it's going to go on a nationwide database, which is going to get a ton, a ton of eyeballs on your builders and sites. Way more than you'd get on them on your own if you just put it on your website or advertise it on the state economic development website. It also inputs ESRI data for radiuses of your buildings and sites. So a prospect's not just looking at a building or site when they find your information. They can actually see information about your labor force. You don't even have to put it in there. It does it for you automatically. This is the best buildings and sites database I have found. I encourage you to go to location1.com, sign up for a demo, see how this thing works. Transition to location one. You'll be real happy you did. Well, let's put you on the spot. I didn't tell you I was about to ask these questions. So give our listeners some tips. So you've now done all of what we do. You've said in executive searches, what do you think is the biggest interview mistake people make? If you were out interviewing for an economic development job, having sit through the ones you've sit through with us, what have you learned 
that you could give our listeners as a tip of something to make sure you do or something to make sure you don't do? It's one that's hounded over to everybody, but consistently the most often mistake I see is the tell us about yourself question right at the beginning. People just so often whiff on this one. Either it's going on too long or not saying enough to really spark any kind of conversation. So my tip for that would just be to kind of hit your career goals. If you want to mention something personal, that's fine. But really, you're just trying to get on to the next stage of the interview. You don't want a a long, drawn-out story thesis about your life. (laughs) And what would your tip be? So you score most of our RFPs when we're doing a site selection project. So we give folks a little inside baseball. Typically, Brandon and John Sisson on our team score your responses to our RFP. So if we send off a question, you know, send us your 80,000 square foot buildings and all this stuff, then John and Brandon actually score your answers based on what our client wants. And so if you've got exactly what they want, you may get a 10. If you only got part of what they want, you may get a five. So now that you have read through thousands of RFPs that economic developers send to us, having scored them, What have you learned, if you were an economic developer, what have you learned about how you would answer RFP questions just from scoring them that would probably get your score higher just because you've had this experience? A lot of times just making sure you answer the question that is asked so you can give too much information or not enough. So if there's a very specific question in an RFP, don't drone on and provide too much information where you have to search for what your question originally was and don't do something vague that doesn't answer the question. Like you said, there's a lot of different RFPs that we're grading. So we're just kind of going through and scanning for the information that we need. Is there any pet peeve or cardinal sin that people make where you just can't even hardly give them a score that you just, every time you see it, you go, oh God, why don't they do that? When we attach an RFP and have them fill it out and they make a ton of references to see attached document for this answer, that kind of thing, that would probably be the biggest one. Just not taking the time to copy and paste something into our document. (laughs) Good answer. People are always asking me this, and I tell them I don't score RFPs. As you well know, I like to kick the ball off and pitch the first inning and the ninth inning. I don't like to get in there in the fourth or the fifth innings. But by the time you get to the ninth inning, you have to have passed those steps. And so with the RFPs, you've got to put a good enough one in to get to the negotiating table. Then you can always handle that. All right. Well, talk about I know you play tennis in college, so I like people who enjoy competition. And when we hired you, something we do with all our hires and our executive searches, we do a personality profile. You may not want the public, or especially your wife hearing this, but your personality came back exactly like mine, which is highly competitive. And that's very odd. Hardly anybody ever comes back with the same personality that I have. So again, I don't know if that's good or bad, but when I saw it, I said, "Uh uh-oh, we got to hire him because I need to clone myself. So talk about playing tennis in college and I don't know if that taught you to love to win or hate to lose, but talk about how that might have led you to being competitive. Yeah, I did play tennis in college, and I actually started in high school, and I'd always played sports throughout my life, and I played soccer and baseball in high school as well, and that is probably how I got so competitive, and you had me take the test bringing that up. I actually got my wife, speaking of her, to take the test, and she was a red too, so oh God. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. <laughs> so we got all of us. And Alex also has our personality. And poor Gabby, right. she don't. So she's got to deal with all she's of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, tell the audience something that's been different from college theory to actually doing this in the real world. Well, everybody all in college, you're always hearing people say, well, wait till you get out in the real world. So what have you learned in the real world that was different from what you learned in college? 
I guess it'd be more on the fly. Like everything is more on the fly. You might not know everything. You don't get taught everything, but you have to figure it out fast. I guess deadlines are just as important, but mess ups have consequences that you might not know of beforehand. Also, you get paid for your work. So that's positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the flow's coming in instead of out. Right. <laughs> well, and you are competitive. Just this morning, we had a potential prospect respond to an email. Brandon sends emails for us, email marketing, and we had one respond this morning to set a call with me for tomorrow. I can tell that just makes you excited when you see somebody respond. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because you spent a lot of time on it and put in the effort and send out a lot of emails. And when you just get one to bite it, it's a good feeling. What do you think would surprise the audience most about Nick's Move Group? You've been part of this growth and right in the middle of it, and it's your first big job out of college. And so as we're growing this fast, people are always asking me stuff. What do you think would surprise them? Well, just surprising about Next Move Group. Well, actually, when we first started the podcast, I had several people text me to ask if your podcast voice is your real voice. <laughs> Multiple people thought, we're like, is he putting that on for the podcast? And I was like, no, that's Chad. <laughs> That used to happen to my friend Van Newbury. He was the county judge in Paducah, Kentucky. He died tragically, unfortunately. But when he was around me a lot, his wife would say that she would come home and he would say, you've been around Chad, because whatever words he was saying was rubbing off. So <laughs> what else would surprise folks, you think? Our business isn't really location dependent, so it's nice not having to go into work every day and that kind of thing. When I was getting involved in economic development, I didn't think I would have the kind of freedom I do now. I was thinking more it would end up being kind of an office job. And that's, that's not really what we're forced to do. So that's kind of one of the nice things and what people might not know is we're not location dependent. Yeah. So we have an office and pretty much your first year, did you go to the office most every day? Yeah, just about. Yeah. So you were going to the office most every day. And then we hired Gabby and our office is you can easily fit three people in it, but it's a little cramped. And so when we hired her, I said, why don't y'all see if you can work a little from home? About that time, the COVID hit, and now we've been forced to work from home. So we were lucky that we already were getting used to it. Some of these people had to get used to it, but we were already on our way to kind of getting used to that. And now we got some decisions to make because our office lease expires in December, and y'all seem to have been working just as well from home. And so I don't know if we need to keep paying that money every month for the office when we're not using it. We'll cross that road when we get there. What do you like best about working for Next Move Group? Definitely the variety of work. Like I mentioned, being on both sides of economic development and site selection. Also helping different communities across the United States, uh, getting to travel to different areas of the country and see what makes those places unique. Being with a company that kind of fills the niche of helping small to mid-sized communities. And a lot of times they don't really get the fair shake and attention they might deserve. So working with a company like that is very rewarding. What about if you were running an economic development organization, now that you have seen what all we do, so you see how we do marketing, and you've also met a bunch of board members and mayors through our executive searches, so if you got hired tomorrow to run the New Orleans Economic Development, what would be some of the first steps you would take to run that operation the way you'd want it to be run? I'd say likely, like you kind of mentioned there, some of our marketing aspects, I would definitely kind of emulate those things that we've preached, online marketing, online marketing, and we were kind of lucky like Chad mentioned, before COVID, we were kind of already doing some of the stuff that COVID is now forcing us to do, like Zoom meetings and that kind of thing. But I think online is going to be so much more critical. And of course, you have to have stuff to back it up. I'm not saying that. But as far as outreach goes, you just need that online infrastructure in order to compete. I got to pick on him a little. So we came up with this idea of the movement 
when COVID first hit, March or April, something like that, he said, I don't think this is going to work. That's what he said. He said, why you didn't think it was going to work? And now every day people's buying something, every single day. And every time they do, (laughs) I send it to him. And I say, I thought you said it wasn't going to work. So why you didn't think it was going to (laughs) work? What I should have said, if I was leading New Orleans development, what my answer should have been is, oh, I joined the movement. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, because you've seen how many other people's joined it. They can't all be joined. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners and be right back with a lot more with Brandon Nettles right after this. On June 4th, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, which is really designed to do three different things. One, help economic developers improve their quality of lives by making more money. Two, helping economic development organizations land more deals. And three, by helping economic development organizations recruit jobs back home from China. You have probably seen emails of various different video courses that were sent out as part of the movement. And I'll tell you so far, the two most popular courses have been these. One, board training for economic development board members and elected officials. What are their proper roles and responsibilities? And more importantly, what their roles and responsibilities are not. And our other bestseller so far has been how to help small to mid-sized rural communities build a systemic machine-like program to land manufacturing plants, where they don't just land one manufacturing plant, but where they land many manufacturing plants. We are selling these just one right after the next. So one, thank you. We have actually sold about 300% more memberships and revenue than we anticipated we would sell at this point in time. So thank you to all of our members. If you've not joined the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more about it. Thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. You can either join on a monthly basis and receive all our content at once, or you can just buy one piece of content at a time. That's thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. All right. What do you hate most about working with Next Move Group? We asked you all the good stuff. What's the bad stuff? I can't say there's anything I've hated. I guess the one regret is I mentioned I like kind of visiting other communities across the country. Well, you can't really do that anymore. There's no conferences. There's no flights, really. So, yeah, I guess that would be the big aspect because right now you can't really travel. And I kind of cheated on that question because it's not Next Move Group specific, but you always say I'm the politician of the group anyway. So He likes to answer his questions politically he'll be the governor one day if i can't talk him out of it what do you want to be doing in 10 years right along with that question i'm a typical millennial so i don't really think that far in advance but i love economic development in this profession i certainly am enjoying working with next move group and maybe one day help run it help run it you're gonna run it so uh I've always had a goal. Gwen Ware in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, to tell you this, I told them the first day I got that job when I was 25, I said, when I'm 40 years old, I don't necessarily want to retire, but I have worked hard. I've had to move all around the country. And when I turn 40, I want to retire or play golf or something. Not that I really want to quit. So I'm 38. So that's two more years. So I don't know if you'll be quite ready in two years, maybe three or four, but at some point in time, it's going to be fun to become the chairman of the board and hopefully you'll still be with us and we can, you know, Bear Bryant always said you hire people smarter than you. And I didn't have no 4.0 in economics (laughs) or economic development. And so one of the things y'all will be seeing, you know, we were going to put Brandon on the comfort circuit this year in the COVID hit. So you're seeing our news channel. We're making sure our whole team's involved in all of that. Cause you know, when we send Brandon to these events, rather than when I used to have to go and I didn't know a soul, 
and had to start introducing people. People are going to recognize you because you've been on YouTube and all this other. It's going to be way, yes, you know, technology now can help people so, so much. I hope that you'll be running our company here in a few years. So as we start to step out, we're already starting to step out of some stuff. I mean, we're involved in all the stuff, but I don't know if you'd admit it, but I would hope you'd say that in the two years you've been here, there's some stuff I've turned loose of already that I used to probably would have never turned loose of. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely been more involved in bringing Gabby along has definitely helped even further. There was stuff I was focused on a year ago that I don't even have a part in anymore. So that's been a big part is just the process of handing over aspects of work has helped us grow. And that is tough for an entrepreneur. I will tell you it's founder syndrome. You can look it up. There's a real thing. It's called founder syndrome. And so that's tough for an entrepreneur to give over its baby because we want our work to be done just so even Alex, who founded the company with me, there were things I wouldn't let him do. And my whole attitude to that has changed in the last two or three years when we did that Goldman Sachs Accelerator program. And they really taught us that we got to have an infrastructure to where if I get run over tomorrow, the company can still run. And I think we're well on our way to that. We wouldn't have been able to say that two or three years ago. And it was nobody's fault but mine because I had to be involved in every little thing. And now I'm trying to give a lot of that away. And I have confidence in y'all now i will still be involved if i'm not happy with the product as you can probably attest to but i try not to be involved in the day-to-day minutiae yes chad is a perfectionist but he doesn't always catch everything out the door yeah the mistake is you asked me to look at it if i didn't look at it how i would know the other day (laughs) gabby asked me to look at something i didn't like it and that hurt her feelings and i said I would have never seen this in a million years if you hadn't asked me. So you should <laughs> ask me if you didn't want my honest opinion. Well, Brandon, is there anything you wish I had asked that I didn't? Well, I'd say uh, if you were to ask me, one of the things I've learned that's been the most helpful, it's about making mistakes. So going through college and just growing up, you're taught to avoid mistakes at all costs. And in some environments, that's fine. But in economic development, you really have to make mistakes in order to succeed. And I don't mean big mistakes, but aggressive mistakes, mistakes that move the ball forward. Those are the types of mistakes you learn from and will eventually lead to you having a success. I think that is a good tip for young kids because when you're little, right from the first memories, you're taught, don't talk to strangers, don't do this, don't do that. You know, you're taught that properly. I'm not saying you're not taught that. You were probably taught it even more being raised by a college president because that's a political type position. You can't be seen out partying with everybody, you know, doing all the stuff. So one thing that I have learned as an entrepreneur is you have to make mistakes. Otherwise, you'll be paralyzed and you'll never move the ball forward. And you just have to know that you're going to make some mistakes along the way. But as long as they're aggressive, then that's just fine. You know, no different than having Peyton Manning on your team and telling him don't throw the ball because you might throw an interception. Well, you're going to throw some interceptions. And so my whole theory is, that you're going to have to throw some interceptions because that's going to teach you. You know, nothing teaches you not to touch the hot stove quicker than touching the hot stove. (laughs) And so it's important to us that our team constantly make aggressive mistakes. Now, we don't need to make stupid mistakes. We don't need to send out, you know, a bunch of stuff with spelling errors and this, that, and the other. But we always need to be more aggressive. And I've always been aggressive. That's just my nature. But we've learned, especially with our marketing, we've had to be even more aggressive than we thought. We used to send like an email a week and we thought this may bother people. Now we send like one a day and we don't care if it bothers them or not because the cash register goes off. So wouldn't you say that that went against your gut feeling like, oh, who are we going to bother? When at the end of the day, who cares who you bother? And if they don't like it, they can unsubscribe. You're not going to make a sale if you don't send it. 
Right. <laughs> no, I remember having those conversations about, well, how many emails do we send for annoy people? But I mean, people get emails all day. From your point of view, you're sending tons of email, but from there, they just see whatever you send every now and then. And we pay per subscriber. So the quicker they unsubscribe, the better. So you want them to unsubscribe as far as I'm concerned. But see, this is a mentality. And so young kids need to hear this. If I was 22 years old, I'd want to hear this. And if I were 23, getting my start in this business, I would want to hear, you know, just how aggressive you have to be to stand out from the crowd and that it's okay to make mistakes. I tell my brother all the time, he's a nurse practitioner. And I tell him all the time, in his business, if he makes a mistake, it kills somebody. Think about that. He only has to make one mistake and he kills somebody. We can make 99 mistakes, and the one thing we do right can make us a million dollars. Think about that. Now, I'm not trying to tell people not to be a nurse practitioner, but that's just the difference in the type of businesses that you're in. And so if you're going to succeed in business, you certainly have to have a tolerance for some kind of risk. And if you're going to succeed in rural economic development, you've got to be aggressive. Because if you just sit there, nobody's going to find you. You've got to make people find you. Well, Brandon, thank you for being with us. Anything else you want me to ask you that we didn't think of? No, I think that's about it. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thank you.